0: Hello friends, welcome to the Christchurch Port Orange Midweek Podcast, where we deep dive into the scriptures we examined from the previous Sunday morning without the constraint of time, as well as discuss questions and topics of interest from members of our Christchurch family. I'm Pastor Jesse Jarvis, your host. Let's dive in. Happy fall, y'all. We have officially closed out summer on the twenty-second of September, and we are descending into lower humidity, cooler temps, bigger skies lots of pumpkins. It's exciting. feels good out there. And I'm excited to be back with you in the quote unquote studio. The last several episodes of the midweek podcast have been via the memo app on my iPhone and then transferred into something that you have access to. But I'm excited to be back recording in a higher quality fashion and accompanied by the one and only Bill Mayer. Welcome back. Good to be here. Glad you're here, Bill really enjoy recording these podcast episodes. And uh, we started this midweek podcast during our binge the Bible series when we were going through the whole Bible in six months at a clip that was causing people who were reading with us to have lots of questions. And so uh, we had an influx of listener questions, which were really fun to interact with. I super enjoyed that. And uh, now we're in a new season where we finished that series and we're in our more typical short series And the one we're in right now is Worthy of It All. And so we're going to be in this series for six weeks, um, September to October 2023, if you're listening in real time. And uh, this past Sunday, um, we had part three, which uh, was kind of your Jesus story, if I could retitle it. That wasn't the title that I used. Uh, The title was Newsworthy, because I was just working the word worthy in there. So we got Newsworthy, Praiseworthy coming up trustworthy and made worthy before the series is over and um but we talked about our jesus story and my goal in this past sunday's service sermon was to maybe provoke people to think a little bit differently about things like evangelism and um sharing their faith and being a witness of jesus and so um, that was kind of the point if you were here on sunday or if you listen to that audio and um, but I did something unusual that I don't typically do, and that was to throw away my previously written intro story uh, for our third service, and just felt led by the Spirit to share a version of my Jesus story. And so I did that in the third service. And I don't like to change the services up unless you know directed by the Lord, because I want to try to keep our Christchurch family having the same experience as much as possible in multi-services, and that's going to be even more so as we go to multi-site sometime early in 2024. But um, that happens. Sometimes a service is different than another service. And sometimes that happens during the music ministry or some other time. But this week it was during the sermon. So if you were with us for our noon service this past Sunday, I just shared a version of my story, my Jesus story, Mm -hmm. kind of went back and predated me to my parents kind of radical salvation in Southern California in the early 80s. And growing up in church. And um, so my story is informed by being a first uh, first generation Christian or raised, I should say, by first generation Christians, converts. Uh, And a lot of the people who I interact with in ministry, pastors and ministry leaders, it's more typical to find that they are the children and even the grandchildren and sometimes the great grandchildren of preachers and multi-generational Christian families. And so for those of us Really like I think Bill, you too right you're a you are a first generation or second generation Christian convert, is that right?
1: I, I would say, yeah, my parents got saved when I was like sixteen or they I think my stepdad was saved before, but he didn't act like it so so yeah, it doesn't they, count. <laughs> they really acted like it when I was sixteen and uh you know we went super conservative but yeah I would say I'm first generation and you so you were at sixteen when that
0: happened so I was an infant and you got to have like a whole childhood experience before seeing this transformation happen in your family.
1: Yeah, it's kind of crazy because, um, you know, we had a birds and the bees talk and that, that changed very drastically over the course of a couple months. And, <laughs> I, you know, I imagine. and, <laughs> and in addition to like, Hey, they, they went all out. Like, uh, you know, they were like, they were selling the farm, like no, no video games with violence, no anything. And I was just like, you guys are insane. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: And then, so you and your, your Jesus story kind of starts with that obviously, but, uh, kind of morphed into your college experience, right? wasn't it going home back to your dad's in Mississippi where that kind of started for you.
1: Yeah. So my, when I say my parents, I'm referring to my mom and my stepdad and my parents are split. So like my dad split from my mom when I was two, never married. So I thought they were so crazy that I moved in with my dad in Mississippi, but I went to Embry-Riddle to study aerospace engineering. My sophomore year, I went home. I didn't have any friends in Mississippi. I started, you know, I started the summer off playing video games, couldn't get a job. It was 2009. Um, and I was, I got to the point where I was just, you know, just broken. I had no friends, had nothing to do. I was just sitting on my bed like recounting like, man, my life really sucks right now. Hmm. And, um, and the Lord just like really spoke to my heart and he's like, Hey, why don't you read your Bible? And hmm. then, uh, you know, thank God for my mom. She gave me this giant NIV study Bible for my high school graduation right before I left. Go mom. And, uh, and then that became like my new thing. I just sat there and read the Bible all day cause I didn't have anything else to do. So it was kind of glorious, but. Praise God.
0: That is awesome. That wasn't uh, too dissimilar for for me. I mentioned on Sunday that I was raised by new Christian parents. And so they were, they were, they really swung into the fundamentalist kind of, I mean, that was really the only, the only influence out there in the early 80s was, was uh, fundamentalism. Um, That's where they had harnessed the power of television and figures like Pat Robertson and and others who were like the major influencers, James Dobson and uh, Focus on the Family kind of started around then. So there wasn't a lot of Christian resources, the Christian bookstores kind of started around that time too. lamp lighter was a little bookstore in Maryland where my parents would go get Christian books. So they were just consuming whatever they could. And so I experienced a lot of that. Um, I wouldn't say it's as drastic as going from essentially nominal or non-Christian parents to full on Christian parents. The whiplash of that for a teenager would be substantial, (laughs) but my parents were, you know, looking for tools and then starting this and trying that and, so we got they they experimented on us a lot, um, but by 18 I I didn't have like a faith a faith of my own beyond just a real childish sense of I you know trust in Jesus I had a fundamental belief in God, church was a part of that, but I didn't read the Bible much beyond what I was forced to, and my heart wasn't captured um, completely. So by 18 I was definitely a mess. I remember my mom sitting me down. I had just turned 18, and so I was like legally an adult. And um, this is like December of 99. And she just said, please don't do anything dumb. <laughs> she was just like, please don't do, any, don't do anything drastic just because you can. And um, man, that meant a lot to me. And I actually, I mean, those words haunted me and by the power of the Holy Spirit and my own conscience, whatever remained of it, um, actually kept me from doing some dumb things that I could have done in uh, about a month's time before the Lord really captured my heart. But once he did, I went to the same thing you did. I went home and just started consuming the scriptures like I could not get enough. And I just read and read and read and read. I had this, um, this, I think it was an NIV paperback Bible that had like a wave on the front of it. I don't know if it was like a surfer's Bible or if they just used that picture, but that was kind of a popular Bible there in the late 90s. And uh, man, I read that thing to pieces. It was in shreds and I had notes written in the margins and there was more questions than answers for me. But uh, it started me on a journey of of pursuing the Lord in his word and understanding truth and evaluating my worldviews and interacting with the world. And it was powerful. So I, that's why I have such an en- enduring love for God's word. And that's one of the things I love about you too, Bill. You have always had a, a voracious appetite for the scriptures and uh, now original languages. And so this is fun. That's why I love getting into this podcast together and kind of deep diving into the into the word. So Sunday we we did newsworthy, and it wasn't your typical evangelism sermon. But I was trying to provoke people to understand the the worthiness of Christ in all things, and to see our our uh, our faith and our relationship with Jesus as being something that's so powerful and so worthwhile that it really infiltrates and influences like all of our conversations. And so, Bill, you kind of be an exception to this rule, but typically people become pretty compartmentalized with their faith to where they, that is a thing they do. People could read their Bible every day and they could have a commitment to being in church on Sundays. But oftentimes, you know, they have their work people and their neighborhood people and their church people. And people in general, in my experience, tend to live more compartmentalized than holistic lives. And so it's, it's uh, rare for those people to mention you know, their relationship with Jesus to their neighbors or to their co-workers unless they're going out of their way to do so. Or, and sometimes when there's like a crisis or a question or some kind of debate that goes on, that topic may come up. But, um, as I've known you, you've been a more holistic person where like Jesus is like your main, your main dude. And he comes up a lot.
1: <laughs> he is, he's my main dude, my main squeeze. No. Um, but yeah, I feel like, I mean, I think that goes with my personality too. It's like, I mean, they're like, all or nothing like, Mm. uh, addictive personality. Like once I get into something, it just, just goes and takes over. I don't know how else to describe it, Mm -hmm. but I'm like happy. It's Jesus. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Amen. (laughs) What a good thing it is to be addicted to Jesus. Oh man. That's awesome. Uh, I've, I've already got some good feedback from people, um, responding to the sermon content from Sunday. Just, just that. Yes. Like he really is that good and he is worth talking about and does really, become the central figure in every part of our life and every circumstance. And I'm seeing that more in in a conversation in the church. So we're doing right now a party of seven, uh, which for Christchurch peep you know what that is. But if you're listening from elsewhere, we do, uh, it's kind of like small group light. So it's a commitment to four dinners with people you don't know just to meet new people in church. And part of what we do in our party of seven, and we encourage other people who are hosting to do is to just take um, one couple or one family um, per dinner and just have them share their story. And, uh, because they're people we met in church, oftentimes there's a Jesus story, but not always. Some people are still just seekers and or they're coming back to faith. And so they're very much in process and that's just an awesome time. and It encourages the faith of everyone and it puts Jesus back on the table, um, conversationally. So I've really enjoyed getting to hear the, the stories from people and, um, a, a typical feature of of people at Christchurch too, is like a bad church experience. So a lot of people are coming back to church after having like a really unhealthy church life or church history or church experience. And so that, that is sometimes a part of it. And I'm just so grateful for the, the environment that we have here at Christchurch, where people can kind of come back in, even with like a hesitation to go, I don't know if I want to do this again, or when's it going to get weird, or there's a little bit of cynicism. And that doesn't bother us at all, because we know that um, there's a lot of baggage surrounding church. Um, But there's none around Jesus. And so we know that as people reconnect with him and start to shed away or deconstruct, I don't like to use that word so much anymore. It's been kind of harnessed into kind of a movement away from faith altogether. But in as much as you need to deconstruct things that you thought were fundamental that aren't and get back to Jesus, like I'm fine with that. And so we're happy to be a place where that can happen. And so a lot of the stories have been about that. And uh, that really can be life-giving. There's a lot of people in our communities, too, who have like a a historic faith but aren't walking in it. And so when it comes up, you'd be surprised how many people kind of look back to the best part of their life. And it was, you know, with in their childhood at church or with grandma or some influential person who was a person of faith. And there's some kind of vestige or seed of faith that's there. And so those conversations can quickly turn into people coming back to the Lord. In in mass numbers, and so as we share our Jesus stories, um, my encouragement to everybody, my exhortation is like, don't be afraid to speak, don't be afraid of what will come out, and you know, if you get some hate or you get some um, indifference or whatever, that's that's not a problem either. Just let people be where they're at, and at least they'll know where you stand, and they'll know who you are when it, when the time comes. So we um we took Sunday, and I, I used this acronym that I gathered in. Um, Community college during my journalism and broadcasting degree, um, which was like a series of classes on writing. So some of it was like report writing, business writing, but I really enjoyed the actual journalistic writing, like writing for newspaper, just because that uh, that requires tons of research. So you have to be very well read. I'm not. It's not like an op ed class. It was like reporting news and, and investigative journalism. I really like that, and then the idea of readability. So if you're going to write something or if you're going to communicate something, you want to do something that people are actually interested in. And so we kind of took apart, um, what made for a newsworthy story. And, um, I gave my acronym pitch, which is just my way of organizing. What are some you know, typical, um, big, big bullets for any type of like report writing or newspaper writing. So you can find this stuff online all day long. It's not unique to Daytona beach community college journalism degree, and it's not unique to me, but, um, I organized it into an acronym pitch, which was prominence and proximity. So are you are you talking about someone who matters? And the answer here is obviously yes. And I, I didn't get into this, I, I especially by the third service. I was moving through this acronym pretty quickly because I am reminded that when people are listening to a sermon and they see that there's five letters, they think five points and they think this is going to take a long time. And so there's a psychological thing that happens. So I always encourage new preachers to like give them a point or two or three at the top and, and get through the first one real fast because it makes people psychologically feel like you're making progress through. So I know when I get halfway through the sermon and I give five point acronym, people go, oh, no. Um, so I was kind of speeding through there. But, um, you know, Jesus is the most prominent figure in world history. And this is a feature that people don't often recognize. Like our whole Gregorian calendar is built on the birth of Christ. So we count our years based on the arrival of Christ. So there's multiple calendars throughout history. Even now, the Jewish calendar, I believe we just entered in uh, September. Yom Kippur is the new year of 5784 on the Jewish calendar. And so like there are other concurrent calendars, but the world is running on the Gregorian calendar, which we're in the year of our Lord, 2023, and that is based on estimates of the birth of Christ. So he's the center central figure. I mean, you, you break down, um, even modern history and, um, I've been studying kind of world history because I've been interested in, um, where things came from and how we got to where we are and Ottoman empire and the kingdom of Prussia and European development and the end of the Roman empire. And you, you really go back to these things. And now uh, the world, as we know, it is kind of fallen into place based on the impact of Christendom in the fourth century and forward. And so, um, Jesus is the central figure and obviously the central figure of one of the three monolithic or not monolithic monotheistic faiths. So you have Islam and uh, Judaism and Christianity, not in that order um, who have one God, the rest of his pantheism or paganism, where there's many gods there's kind of a God associated with every type of uh, earthly power that's existed. But um, Jesus is at the center and he's a controversial figure in uh, Islam and in um, Judaism. And so like Jesus is like a topic that is not unprominent he, he, as a person. And not only that, but like he he's not just a f- public figure of history. He is a person dwelling in our hearts by faith, whom we all have a relationship with and who is seated in heaven's throne alive and well um, because of his resurrection. And so um, prominence is important. And I mentioned in passing uh, proximity, like this, this, this good news that we're sharing with people is the good news of God making His home in our very hearts and transforming us. The, the 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 major prophets picture this as God literally giving us a new heart, a spiritual heart transplant, a new spirit being put inside of us. The law of God not being external to us that we have to ex- receive and obey, but that comes on the inside of us and actually motivates us by love to fulfill all of the the commands of God by loving Him and loving our neighbor. That's a transformative internal work. And so this is not just a matter of, you know, the impact on our community. However, I will say like the gospel changes everything for the better. If you go back and study periods of revival, so much of the good things that have come out of history have come post revival. So God captures people's hearts in mass numbers. And what comes out of that is all sorts of um, industry and um, philanthropy and, um, investment into medicine and hospitals and like really everything that we're, that we experience as normal and good in society has come on the cusp of moves of God throughout history. And so it, coming to a neighborhood near you, when Jesus shows up and people's hearts get changed, everything gets better. Crime rates go down, uh, home ownership goes up, marriages become more stable, family life becomes more stable, children are raised in better environments, there's more success, uh, the, the best of human flourishing begins to come out of that. And so, like, the, the proximity piece is, like, really important. Like, every single person is super close to this story. I, I mean, that's a part of my story. I cannot imagine what it would have been like for me to be raised in the family that I was in before my parents were saved. If my parents had even made it, if their marriage had lasted. And if they ha- I, I doubt that it would have. And I was an infant. But, you know, I have five other siblings that were born after because of their Christian faith. And so, like, what would my life have looked like? Very different. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but prominence and proximity. We're all very close to this story. And um, I, I mentioned this also in passing two weeks ago in the Who is Worthy series, but the song that's in Revelation 5, 9 and 10, um, they sang a new song, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you are slain by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And look at this last line, and they shall reign on the earth i wanted to hover there because a lot of times we have this like um platonic or aristotelian view of heaven and hell and of heaven and earth that there's this like afterlife and there's the physical and then there's the spiritual and there's like the the grimy and gross and broken and then there's the good and perfect and holy and that our our salvation just lands us in heaven when we die and basically we're just in a holding pattern of trying to be a persecuted christian until we get there And there isn't a vision for like what God has in store. And if you read the scriptures, it's very earthy. God's plan is to redeem the whole earth, all of creation. Yes, there will be a, a judgment of fire. And that's typical. That's like um, an idealist view uh, it's a typological. It's not saying that the whole earth is going to be burned, um, but there is going to be a purging. uh, There is going to be a judgment, but God's going to redeem the earth. The, earth, the curse on the earth is going to be lifted. I would imagine a world in which there is peace and tranquility and not ra- even raging storms and hurricanes and tornadoes and severe weather and landslides and natural disasters. You know, that picture of the throne of God, there's a sea of glass, like it's just perfectly smooth. And so the world is going to be brought back into a climate of perfection. And so, but it's very earthy. We're meant to have bodies. We're meant to live with God in perpetuity. Um, we're going to, you know, our, even the 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 pre that what's the word antediluvian humanity was living hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and that was under the curse of death and eventually they all died but it was a picture of like living forever and so like your house may or may not be your house but it'll still be there and our countries and land masses and this planet like we're here to reign on the earth and so we're going to be we're going to be reopened into the kind of reconnection of heaven and earth the spirit realm and the physical realm um, but this is all like very much coming to us. And so sometimes we can disengage mentally or spiritually from this reality. And so like it is a, the, a vision of Jesus ought to be like a totality that ha- allows us to see the future and the present very much tied together with his return at the center of what's going to bring about that transformation. And when we think about it that way, it starts to bring us back into that less compartmentalized, more holistic walk with Jesus that permeates uh, the world that we live in, and it starts to influence our conversations and our cultural cultural intake and our politics and all all the things that are very earthy. And so, prominence obviously and proximity maybe differently than we think about. You know, in the in the sermon I just mentioned, like, are you going to be interested in a story of a retiring high school football coach from middle Kansas? And no, you have no interest because there's no connection to you proximity wise, but. Jesus is coming back. The whole earth will see him. He will re- renew and redeem all of creation. He will rule and reign on the earth and we will reign with him and living in a in a new world. And so that's going to have drastic implications on everything about your community. Uh, the second of those five part acronym pitch was impact. We, we covered this one pretty significantly, but um, I did just want to draw our attention to, I kind of moved past this, that there's there's both a eternal salvific impact, which is obvious. And I think everyone knows that, I mean, we, God wants us to live and not to die. And so like we want, God wants everyone to have salvation. Salvation really is at the center of a Jesus centered worldview. We, we talked about that in sermons past where we, we have to, if we're going to have a Jesus centered worldview, that's going to impact our view on creation, revelation, unification, and then Salvation really is at the center of that. Like what does that mean and how does it come to you and how does it impact the world around you? And then on the other side of salvation is mission and then expectation. This is the idea of waiting for Christ to come back. And then what that return looks like consummation. Like those are the seven points of a Jesus centered worldview. And the center of that is salvation. Cause that does transform everything. If you really do have salvation, it ch- transforms your whole life, the way that you live your life and so on. But there's also like a, an immediate and temporal um, role that, significance plays like you have a new role it's not just that you're saved and that's good and now your life looks different as a saved person versus an unsaved person but that you're caught up into the purposes of god in your generation and so there's a there's a, a missional component there's a purpose driven component and there's a significance Um, To you being fully recovered out of being led astray by mute idols, as Ephesians tells us, and then living a redeemed life where you're making an impact in in, uh, other people. And so the impact is not only personal on you, but then through you to other people. And so we didn't really talk about that too much in in, in so much, though, that we talked from 2 Corinthians 5 about our being called as ambassadors of Christ. And so that salvation comes to us and then that's supposed to come through us. God making his appeal um, to other people we're doing that on Christ's behalf, literally. And so like, it's a big deal. And so we want to really think through like, is Jesus a part of my story? Do we understand how newsworthy he truly is? He is the prominent, um, character of creation. He is, he is, his proximity is for everyone and every human heart and every life and every tiny little sphere of, Whether you live in the Arctic Circle inside of northern Alaska and with Inuit people and there's 13 of you and you're just scraping by to survive, like he's coming there to change that also. And so where there are people, where there is a planet, there is a plan. Um, And then the impact. What's that impact on you personally? What's that impact on the world around you? And if you want to see your world change for the better, recognize that major impact is going to come through Christ. And so maybe the most powerful thing you can do and most influential thing you can do as a person is to share your Jesus story. Uh, we, we move to timeliness. Um, and this is, is, is this relevant? And you know, the gospel stays relevant in every single generation. It is not a thing of the past. It is not a first century truth. It is not learning about Victorian English history and the aristocracy and irrelevance. And it, I mean, it is, it never gets old. It has no shelf life. It is equally applicable in every generation. And so that's true, but I also wanted to kind of highlight on Sunday the urgency of it because we're not promised tomorrow. So like you have this moment, you have right now. And as Christians, we ought to be interacting with, I should say, as disciples of Jesus, we ought to be interacting with people recognizing that we we, we don't know what their situation is going to look like. We may be talking to somebody who, you know, is going to die suddenly or maybe on the cusp of taking their own life. You just never know. And so this is an urgent thing. It's not something that, you know. We, we take lightly. We are patient. We, we do We are a becoming community. We talk about that a lot. We like want people to be on their journey. I got to hear the testimonies of a few people who, um, recently gave their lives to the Lord were baptized in our last round of baptisms. And they were just sharing their story about how God just kind of pulled them back to himself. One from, a uh, Eastern kind of Hindu thought preceded by a Mormon Mormonism and faith and only faith in Jesus was from a Mormon perspective. And then the other from like, a just a, um, atheistic perspective. And it really came like politically through the exposure to the political left and then the far right through Liberty university and a PhD degree. And, but ultimately there was a process that led them to fundamental faith in Jesus and a desire to live their lives that way. And so I love being a church that allows people to have the weeks and months and sometimes years that it takes to feel like they belong before they necessarily believe and to become what God's called them to. And so like, we, we don't want to be pushy we also want to recognize that um, we want to be purposeful because it is an urgent message and we aren't promised tomorrow and so there's a there's a tension there between pushing and purposeful that that timeliness ought to kind of influence us on probably my favorite point that i didn't get to spend any time on and um maybe we can talk about this i wonder what bill what you think about this was the the conflict and the controversy we don't want to turn into just um contentious people that debate things and stuff, but like Jesus does change our mind about a lot of stuff, you know? And if we have a Jesus centered worldview and a relationship with him, like there are things that we see differently. We see compassion differently. We see hard work differently. We see profitability and wealth management differently. We see uh, compassion and and uh, culture and government. And we just see things differently because we're seeing through a Jesus-centered worldview. And so there is a lot of conflict and controversy that gets deeper. I I did not get into this at all on Sunday, but this gets deeper because there is a lot of ideology that permeates Christianity. And so there's a lot of non-Jesus controversy. And uh, sometimes it's really helpful to recognize where that exists in your own thought processes. So you can kind of cut that out and get back to just Jesus. And then with just Jesus, start to ask, re-ask some questions and maybe you'll find that there's some, some ideology that doesn't really hold water when it comes to, um, evaluating that based on what Jesus has actually said. And so that may look like, you know, letting go of some progressive liberal thought it may look like letting go of some Christian nationalistic thought. You know, uh, we had a worship night last Friday night, uh, which was on fire and awesome. And we closed this, um, song with the song, uh, warrior and there's a bunch of like, um, military language in there. And I'm like, gut level honest with you, it made me a little uncomfortable because like, I'm like, don't misinterpret. <laughs> like there's no boot, there's no actual boots and <laughs> there's no, there's no guns involved in this revolution, but we are, there, there is a war. I mean, that terminology is used throughout the scripture. There's a war against the the powers of darkness and their destructive work of the enemy that leads to death and his use of lies and tactics and accusation and, the, the power of truth and compassion and love and boldness. And so there is a war. And so we shouldn't be uncomfortable with that kind of euphemism. Uh, but we always want to make sure that we're not, um, giving into this idea of being able to enforce Christianity, whether that's through government or uh, revolution and violence that should just never happen. And so, you know, I think that there, I, I interact with genuine people, um, all the time who, have a leftist or or right-wing kind of view of christianity and it's all tied together and so a lot of that controversy can be eliminated just by interacting with the bible because there's a lot that the scriptures have to say that instantly dissolve those arguments and positions um, but that isn't typically how people harness christianity they look in there and they they grab a hold of whatever piece works for their ideology and that's about as far as it goes
1: yeah and i think it's really important to like which one is your priority, right? If you're like looking through the lens of some form of politics, left or right, up or down, mm-hmm. you know, and then you're like, I need Jesus to fit in this box. I think it's more important for us to step back, especially as saints, as Christians to step back and say, what is Jesus's box? And then orient your political views, your ideologies around that box. Cause yeah. that's the important one. Yeah, That's the one that you live or die by
0: exactly and that's complicated so we're gonna i um i had a interview with a Christchurch member it was more of a coffee and meeting an interview because there was nothing on the table but um we were having a conversation about a theological question that has come up again and again and again in his circle of friends and then a political conversation and so i'm planning a podcast with him jeff and he'll sit at the table with Bill and I, and we we want to talk about the theological question: Can you lose your salvation, and how does that fit into different uh, theological constructs? A very important question. And then um, the second one was just the the issue of immigration. So he is a stated conservative, but he's married to an immigrant, and so like he has a firsthand perspective on what it looks like to be an immigrant in America and what that process has looked like, and then the impact of. You know, legal and positive immigration and then illegal and destructive immigration. And so that's a complicated topic right now. And for those like very passionate Jesus followers on the left side of the aisle, they're looking for they're looking at all the scriptures about welcoming the foreigner and the stranger among you. And I mean, that was a major feature for the people of Israel and how they treated those who were foreigners and aliens. And so the the Old Testament says a ton of stuff about immigrants and the treatment of immigrants but it doesn't really say a whole lot about immigration what does it look like in fact in kind of jewish history um you were you were about after about day three as an immigrant you were about as was welcome as a snake <laughs> and so like if you were a jew in the in the uh, ancient near east you would have you would have been like quick to show hospitality to people who were passing through but it, as soon as they like oh this is nice i'm gonna hang out here ah, <laughs> that was over uh, you were no longer made to feel welcome culturally i'm not saying that's in the bible but that was very typical and so you have this this issue of immigration. And then the New Testament, of course, like the idea that we're citizens of heaven and that we're we're no longer of this earth. We're in the world, but not of the world. And so we're immigrants. And so that how how we treat each other ought to be how we treat um, those who are not from our country. And then that gets kind of just projected up onto the role of government. And then you kind of paste Romans 13 and we should just obey the government. And you can have very quickly have a patchwork Christianity that justifies either position uh, on the immigration front but that's a very complex issue so i'd love to talk about that at some point but this is just an illustration of the kind of conflict and controversy that surrounds christianity and the person of jesus and my my point and my my goal on sunday was to say don't be afraid of the conflict it's the conflict that actually makes it an interesting conversation to have don't be afraid of the controversy um in fact where jesus is clear don't be afraid to be clear you know, there's some major controversial topics in our world. Immigration is one of them. But um, the, the abortion debate, which I don't even like that word. I mean, ab- abortion used to be the term for miscarriage because it was an accidental end of a pregnancy. And that word was harnessed. And now that it's become associated with the, the horrors of, of destroying life in the womb, um, it's being moved away from, even from those who are proponents of that, uh, wrapped up in women's rights and so on. And so they, they're talking about terminating the pregnancy and, and not using the word womb, use the word uterus and don't use the word baby, use the word fetus. And, you know, like, don't use the word abortion, use the word, pr- um, you know, procedure. And like, they're just trying to dehumanize and undemonize what is really violent and evil and wrong. And so like, we've got to be willing to engage with controversy and take a stand where God does. And so when it comes to the transgender issue or marriage, even now, like gay marriage was a thing all through the nineties and early two thousands. And now people are talking about open marriage. Like that's open marriage. Like marriage by definition is closed. (laughs) Like you can't, you can't talk about open marriage. Like it's a self-defeating term. You know, it's like saying, I want, I want an open sandwich, no bread. that that's not a sandwich. That's a salad, you know, lettuce, tomato, ham, and cheese, get a fork and knife. You're eating a salad, my friend, that is not a sandwich, but it's a fight over words. And so like where God is clear, where the scripture is like super clear, like it shouldn't be controversial for us. And we ought to like be really committed to what God says is true and good and right. And where there's a lot of debate, like things like eschatology or the role of the Holy spirit and things that people disagree about that aren't as important women in ministry, for instance, has been one we've been walking through this summer. Like we, we need to have charity towards everyone in, in an open conversation. And so let's not be afraid of conflict and controversy, but let's make sure that the way that we're communicating with people and treating people is uh, in keeping with the compassion and kindness uh, and love that Christ has for them.
1: It's so important to come when you come into a conversation with somebody else to want to understand them to want to, mm-hmm. to say, Hey, what, what goes on in your mind? Like, let me, yeah, let me see what's in there. Yeah. You know, it like, cause it's, that's loving and caring and it's not like, Oh, yeah. let me just push my ideals cause I've already decided like, right. Maybe you'll learn something new in the spirit of humility.
0: Yeah. That's so good. I think, um, I think it's so funny when they have these uh, debates, I think, um, Wednesday of this week, I don't know when, when this when this uh, podcast will publish, but, Uh, Wednesday of this week is the second GOP debate for the, the, um, people running for the Republican nomination for the presidential race next year. And I love it when the next day, uh, the pundits are all asking who won the debate. And the idea of a debate is you don't actually win. There's no win because you're not, I've never, I've never watched a debate where one of the people debating was like, you changed my mind tonight. (laughs) You know, like there's no winning, Uh, In a debate, and so if you if you engage in these um, controversial conversations with a goal towards winning by changing the mind of the person in front of you, that is not the point. That is not the point at all. And so, like Bill said, that's really good. Think about challenging yourself to ask ten questions before you make one statement. If you have someone who obviously disagrees with something you disagree with, ask them. You know, where did that where did that come from? What what made you think that way instead of another way? What about this? What about this situation or this angle? How does that how does that logic apply, or how does that? You know, the more questions you ask, it's communicating that you care about what that person actually thinks. And you're trying to understand that. Um, and then it also informs like your quick response might actually be doing more harm than good because you really don't even understand what it is you're hearing about yet.
1: Yeah, and if we bring it back to uh, talking, referencing the non-essentials in scripture. Like, Hey, what's your point? Why do you think that way? And then, you know, you, you go through this sharpening process, talking with people, there's plenty of people. I mean, I just like to sit there and talk about the Bible, Yeah. but, uh, you know, you bring up scripture and we, even today I had somebody, I had coffee with somebody this morning and I brought up scripture and they're like, well, I think of it like this. And i was like, okay, well, let me check and look at that. Cause I personally would rather be wrong and find out the truth right, than to sit there in bold faced, argue my point, like you're wrong, you're wrong because I think this, right. You know, I'm like, hey, let me go back and re-examine some of those scriptures you brought up. Or let me find some additional ones to bring to the table. And hey, mm-hmm. here's something you can chew on. You know, like if we engage in humility with each other, even in learning, right? Like we, we'll go really far.
0: Yeah, that is, that is a really important point. And it's a it's an expression of of those seven points of a Jesus-centered worldview. It goes back to revelation. So creation, revelation. So as a presuppositionalist, which is what it sounds like you are. So this is going to be like Van Til, if you're going to go back to Princeton University and some of the, the brilliant minds of the past. Um, presuppositionalism is this idea that you actually can't know the truth without divine revelation. So there's two different kinds of revelation. There's divine general revelation, which is what we can observe through our human faculties and our senses from creation and by the logical deductive reasoning that God's empowered us with. So there's a whole set of information, but we can't actually rightly interpret that data And come to the right conclusions without divine revelation so evolution for instance right the first point of a jesus-centered worldview is creation evolution is godless in its aim its goal is to show that everything that is came from something before down to a point of origin that we can't explain but it doesn't require a creator it's all here by a process that is natural completely natural and so this is an explanation of the world that is a godless explanation but if you have a Christian worldview and you look at that same data and you go, okay, what you're calling evolution is actually just adaptation. It's a feature that God built into creation that causes living organisms to adapt to their environment, but that doesn't necessarily create an origin story. And so it still needs an origin story, but the scriptures actually provide an origin story that when taken with what we can see, actually dovetails perfect and tells of a, a, a not exactly how God created everything that is, but. A point in time where time and light and energy and matter began and that it wasn't before and that um, this is it. You want to call that the Big Bang or whatever, the day one of creation. Like there's a there's a biblical answer that makes sense of the data that's available. But if you don't have that biblical answer and you're trying to reject it, then you'll be able to interpret that same set of data in a way that takes you to a wrong conclusion. So, I love the disposition bill that you're talking about of going, okay, we're having this conversation and I have a preconceived notion about this truth claim that opposes yours, but let's go back to the scripture and let's see what other scriptures actually speak to this because like you said, I'd rather find out I'm wrong and end up in the truth than to try to use scripture to defend a thing I already think. That's very self-defeating. But that's also, I mean, there's generations of Christians who have taken that approach to the scriptures. Who are dug down deep in something that they believe and are unwilling to change their minds and so one of the things i used to be very insecure about that now i'm actually kind of proud of is that the longer i've been a jesus follower the more things i've changed my mind about i used to think like oh man i didn't know what i was doing and what do i not know now and but really it's an unfolding journey of revelation and the more you know jesus and the more you understand the scriptures kind of the more true your worldview is going to be um and the the more you do that in a walk with jesus the more right you feel and the more love you have for people who disagree with you. And that's evidence that you're doing it right. (laughs) That you're letting God's divine revelation function for you the way that changes you, but also uh, makes you more like Jesus in the way that you interact with people that disagree with you.
1: Yeah. And the one thing that you're always going to come to at the end, when we hang out with Jesus in new earth or old heaven, Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to come to a fullness of right knowledge, right? But your relationship is the one thing that's going to carry through. I mean, you know, there'll be some forgiveness or whatever, yeah. but like mm-hmm. you interacting with people right now, like, you know, Jesus wants to have relationship and that's your emulation of that interacting with other people. So do it in a godly manner. Yes.
0: Yeah. That's the, that idea right there is the base reality that's behind the story that Jesus tells of the man with bigger barns. Remember the story? Oh. And so he says, um, he tells him the story and I'm, I'd have to look it up. I have this in my notes cause I'm using this for the, um, say yes Sunday. So we're going to talk about wealth a little bit on, on, um, the 22nd of October, but Jesus tells the story about a man. It says the earth produced uh, great productivity or fruitfulness. So there's a picture of like, this came from God, not from you. Like this was not some, this is not a direct connection to what you did. Cause you can, as a farmer, you can work really, really hard and have a poor crop, or you can have a really good crop. And that's depending on conditions that are outside of your control. So the, 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 the land of a wealthy man produced super fruitfully. So this is like from outside of him and then his mindset is put on display. So he says to himself, man, I've got so much stuff here that I could literally not have to worry anymore. And so, but I don't have a place to stick at all. So I'm gonna tear down my barns, I'm gonna build bigger barns, and then I'm gonna have all this stuff and I'm gonna say to myself, self, you are good to go. You can relax and enjoy life. Eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus says, but God says to him, You fool, tonight your life will be required of you, your soul will be required of you, depending on the translation, suke in Greek. And what will happen? All that stuff. And then he says, um, Not to store up wealth for yourself without being rich towards God. And so that's amazing. When you think about it for a second, he's not saying that it's bad to have lots of stuff or to be successful. Or to have fruitfulness it's a it's what's bad is depending on that and putting your trust in that and your hope in that and therefore treating it as god a different worldview would look at that same situation and say wow god has really really blessed me in this season and i have more than i need how can i acknowledge that he's the source of these things and then be generous towards other people and this is what being rich towards god actually looks like because like you said bill What's going to continue into eternity is not grain, it's not wealth, it's not gold, it's not cash, it's not stock options, it's people. And so, if you can invest towards people with what God gives you in each season, then you are making an investment in riches towards God and towards eternity. This is the this is the um, also the the parable of the shrewd servant, which is oftentimes mis- misunderstood. Where well, here you have this this guy who's been skimming off the top, and he's about to lose his job. So he's the manager of all this wealth, and he's been doing evil, and he's about to lose his job. And he he comes to this conclusion where he says, "I'm too weak to dig, and I'm too proud to beg." And so, what am I going to do? And so he starts to do more of the same evil, except he moves it in the in the um, instead of him benefiting, he starts benefiting the people who owe his master money. And so he takes the the position power he has to steal more from his from his master, but in order to create friends for himself, using unrighteous wealth in order to build into relationships. And now he's made these friends who look to him and they go, man, if it wasn't for you, I'd be in this situation, or I'd owe this much, or I wouldn't have this. And so he's making an investment in his future based on how he's using the money in his control to impact other people. And it's very upside down and backwards because it's all like illegal activity (laughs) and it's all immoral activity. But Jesus is harnessing that story to say that guy was doing a smart thing. He was taking this temporary thing that was about to end and he was using it. It was not his, but he was seeing it as not his, but he had access to it. And so he used it to make an investment into people. And that investment would actually come back to be a blessing to him. Mind blown, right? And this is how Jesus sees the world. And this is why he tells these stories. And if we think about them, it'll totally transform our worldview that, hey, God's at the center of this, he's my provider. He's the one who I want to live my life toward. I don't have to worry about the future. I don't have to take care of myself. I don't have to put my trust in riches. I can live toward him. And that looks like investing into other people. And, and that's generosity, not just physical, you know, monetary generosity, but also with our words and with our patience, with our forgiveness. And, and that's that's a real Jesus way of living. It's good stuff. The last uh, acronym we kind of hovered over and I didn't really get a chance to expand like we can on the podcast was the human interest element and i did kind of spend a lot of time on that kind of retelling in, in jesse version the mark 5 kind of 21 to 43 story of jesus healing Jairus' daughter and raising her from the dead after the delay that was caused by the woman uh, with the issue of blood that touched his clothes and the the goal of that was to do two things was to like show the power of human interest of like these are stories of real people that we can connect with and if you tell a sto- a good story it gets everyone's attention you could feel that in the room on sunday but also to like recognize that our stories are different. And so this woman had a story that's compelling because of some certain features, and this little girl and this dad had a story that's a totally different scenario, totally different situation, what's the same is that Jesus is at the center of it. And I wanted everyone to recognize that they have a unique angle on Jesus because their story is a human interest story. And there's going to be people that they will be able to influence and reach and connect with that other people will not, you know. So Bill, you will be able to connect with people on a level and because of your background and situation and skill set and personality and abilities and where God takes you and who you interact with, that's gonna be compelling for people who my story would never connect with. And so that was the point of like, recognize that like everyone's interested in a story that has a human interest that they can connect with. And so we wanna like start to learn to tell our story in a really compelling way. In the third service, instead of opening with my rat story, which we've posted the one of the services that had that story. So if you're at the 12 o'clock and you didn't get the rat story and you want the rat story, uh, it was irrelevant but funny. Um, you can listen to it. But instead of telling that story, I shared a version of my story, like I said. And I had some friends whose teenage son is kind of like in a position, a real, real challenging spot right now, with some big changes and a lot of emotion and a lot of feels and the story that i told about where i was at at his age and the tension i was experiencing like really connected with him and they were really grateful to be at that service with their son and hearing that part of my story and that's the point like you just never know what part of your story is going to connect with people and at what time and the 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 goal is get comfortable sharing it share it in in um it doesn't have to be long it doesn't have to be self-focused but it is your story and jesus is at the center of it and so recognize the power, the power of a story of transformation of a human interest element. There's, there's trans. If, if God's transformed you, don't be ashamed of that. If you used to be addicted, tell that story. If you used to be homeless, if you used to be greedy, if you used to be a liar, like don't be afraid of what you used to be. I love that in uh, 1 first Corinthians chapter six, we use this for men's meeting a couple weeks ago, a couple months back, where we talked to about, here's all the people who won't inherit the kingdom of God, these type of evil people. And it's a bad list. And the apostle Paul says, "And some, and and yet, were some of you, some of you were these things, and so let's own our story, where we came from, and how Jesus transformed us, because that gives hope to other people." I was going to close up um, the each sermon with um, a longer reading and explanation of Romans chapter ten, and I'll wrap up the podcast here with that. We have about five or seven minutes left, but the story is a rescue story. I don't know how many of you guys were alive when baby Jessica was fished from a from a well, 9-inch wide well in te- Central Texas in the late 80s. And the whole world was like on pins and needles as hour after hour after hour of the live news reporting of hearing her singing herself to sleep um folded up inside of this well and people digging down to reach to her and you know the the kind of victorious moment when she was snatched from what could have been um, a fall to her death and un, unable to reach her anymore. And there's so much tension or, or the minor, there was some Venezuelan miners a year or two ago and a boy's soccer team. And th- there's these rescue stories where there's people in danger and we're waiting to hear even, even the story about the, um, the billionaires that all died in the, the submarine implosion that took place. You know, that those involved knew that that it had imploded within minutes of it happening And that news wasn't made public. And so while everyone was waiting to find out if they were salvageable, like everyone was on the edge of their seat. Why? Because there's something on the inside of every human that that is captivated by a rescue story. And that's what the Bible is. The Bible is a rescue story. It's a story of Adam and Eve of God's children made in his image in a place that was good and beautiful that he wants all of us to dwell in where there's fruitfulness and and plenty and family and community and connection, deep spiritual abiding connection in life. And that the only way that that is going to be um, extended beyond one human's lifetime is for redemption to take place because at the core of being made in God's image is the ability to trust and to love. And we will eventually succumb to temptation internal or external, and we will invert that. And that's sin and brokenness and curse and so God built into the human story rescue. We were, we, were, we were chosen in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3 tells us, before the foundation of the world. And so rescue is built into the love story. And so all of us need rescue. There's not a, there's not a person who doesn't need rescuing. But Jesus is the one who rescues. And so in the kind of linear, judicial, forensic uh, analysis uh, explanation of the gospel in the book of Romans, which someday we'll get to. We'll preach the whole book of Romans. The Apostle Paul's connecting the righteousness that comes through the law. And so the people of Israel were justified. They had received the law. And then, so they were made God's people through covenant. And that covenant was was connected to the giving of the Mosaic law. And so there was a Mosaic covenant. And God's people were his people, not because they were law keepers, but because they were law receivers. And so, but Moses writes into the law like life comes through the keeping, but you can't keep it. And so there's an expectation that this covenant will be replaced by something. And all the prophets said that there's going to be a new covenant, not like the old covenant, a new covenant. That's going to have an effect on your heart. You don't have to tell anybody know God because everyone will know God. So that's that's what's coming. Right. And so Paul writes in Romans 10, starting in verse five that Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now, this is a reference to Deuteronomy 30. This is the end of the the uh, book of Deuteronomy where Moses is ending his life, and he's saying, you have this choice before you. You can choose life or you can choose death. It's very clear. It's not complicated. And so Paul starts to harness this to connect this nearness of the law and this nearness of this choice with Christ himself. And so in verse 6 it says, but the righteousness based on faith says, and he's quoting Deuteronomy here, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down. And so if you go back and read Deuteronomy 30, you'll see he's saying the word the you don't have to go up to heaven to get this word. It's come down to you. And of course, that's a reference to the 10 commandments and the Mosaic law. But now this new righteousness based on faith is an immediate connection, a pairing with Christ. Don't say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. He already came. You don't have to go get him or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. That was a miracle of God that he did. That's the rescue plan. And it came from outside of you. But what does it say? And this is again, a quotation. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Verse nine, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, that is declared righteous. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so this is a confession that saves you as you acknowledge God and receive his gift that the miracle came from outside of you, that this is a new covenant. And verse 11 says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Of course, that's the distinction that the Mosaic law had because you can only receive it if you're a Jew. And so you're only under that covenant if you're an Israelite. And so that means if you're a Greek, you're outside of the covenant. And now in Christ, this is being offered to everyone. And everyone who can believe and give God their whole heart and confess Christ with their mouth can be saved. And so there's no longer a distinction. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then it ends with this. And this is where I wanted to kind of close the service if I had had an hour and a half to preach it. And that was verse 14. This, this is the impulse to every believer in Jesus. This is like the, the power of Christ compels us or controls us from Second Corinthians 5. Listen, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news? And that's our calling. Our calling is to recognize that Jesus said, just as I was sent, so I'm sending you. It's the end of John's gospel. And so we're sent. And part of that sent is learning to proclaim the good news, to preach the kingdom of heaven. And the easiest way for us to do that is to learn to tell our Jesus story, to recognize it's got a human interest, that it is fraught with conflict and controversy, but that makes it interesting, that it is urgent and timely, that it has an impact on everyone who receives it, both in eternity and immediately. And that it's about the most prominent figure in the universe who's come all the way to our front door. And so this has proximity and prominence. All the features of a newsworthy story. And so we got to learn to tell that. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a ministry leader. You don't have to have a pulpit. You don't have to have a podcast. You just have to have a person in front of you who you care enough about to tell them something they've never heard. And give them the chance to believe and to call on Jesus.
1: So that's, that's the goal. And it, it's like so important that they need to hear your story, right? Like somebody is proverbially stuck in a well, mm-hmm. they're stuck in a cave in a submarine that's about to implode. Yes. And they need the hope that comes from your story saying, yeah. Hey, I have the real thing. This is the real deal. Jesus is the one who saved me yeah. and they need that hope and they don't need to keep searching or yep. seeing themselves to sleep in the well, but they need your rescue story. It's so important yeah. that you share your rescue story. It's awesome.
0: Now I want to rewrite the rewritten title. <laughs> <So> started, with, <laughs> started, started with newsworthy and then I thought your Jesus story and now I like your rescue story. Uh, and that's right. Captivating. It is. It is captivating. All of us are captivated by a good rescue story. And, and it reminds us that everyone we interact with either has been rescued by Jesus and therefore we have this fellowship, this belief, this uh, this thing we have in common is we've both been rescued. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined his ear and he heard my cry and he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock. Like that's our all of our story. That's why that connects with us so deeply and so profoundly. It's why we sing. But also like every person that doesn't have that story is in need of rescue. And may they might not even see it. Or they may be trying to hide it. They not may not know what to do, but... If you recognize that there is not a human being that does not need rescue that you will interact with, then your rescue story will start to look a little different to you and maybe be a little bit more quick to tell it next time. All right, friends, thanks for joining us. We look forward to our next episode and um, that conversation that we're going to have with Jeff in a couple weeks on uh, immigration and losing your salvation. And so, as always, send us your questions. You can email them to me, jesse at joinwithjesus.org. J-E-S-S-E. There is no I in Jesse. Unless you're a woman, which I'm not. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. We hope you enjoyed this week's deep dive into the scriptures. Our goal is to help you know Jesus better so that you can implement your identity in Christ, engage in your unique purpose and calling, and create community around your relationship with Jesus. For more content like this and opportunities to connect with us in person, find us online at joinwithjesus.org.